Well, good morning. This morning, we are going to start a new series. The pastors want to go through the book of Jonah. And uh, it happens to be uh, a uh, book that the youth uh, got to go through not too long. Well, it was over two years ago, but still will be a good refresher for them as well. Uh, But I'm excited to go through the book of Jonah this morning. I'm just going to give a little bit of an intro into the book. And uh, Pastor Mark and Pastor Terry are going to cover the rest, uh, chapters 1 through 4. If you have your Bibles, would you please open with me to the book of Jonah. I really like studying and reading through the book of Jonah. It's, a, uh, it's one of the few books that reads more like a linear story than it does a, you know, a formal proclamation, like maybe some of the other um, books of, the, uh, of prophecy in the Old Testament. You can bring me down a little bit, guys. This is probably why, uh, because it reads like a story, that's probably the reason that many people remember several details about the book of Jonah. Uh, and, and almost everyone is at least familiar with the contents of, of Jonah. It is a historical account that also reads like a good story, but it's not just a story. These are actual historical events that took place around 793 to 753 B.C. during the reign of Jeroboam II. I asked the students once to tell me everything that they knew about Jonah. Basically, they said he was a prophet, he runs from God, he gets swallowed by a fish. I said, so what's the point of the story? Uh, Don't get swallowed by a fish. Here's a more common uh, summary with a few more details. Jonah is the reluctant prophet of God who is uh, charged with preaching repentance to the city of Nineveh. And Jonah disobeys and boards a ship and sails in the opposite direction to Tarshish. A storm is sent by God that rocks the ship, and Jonah ultimately finds himself in the belly of a great fish for three days before he decides to finally obey God. When Jonah preached, Nineveh repents, and God spares the city from the destruction he had warned them about through Jonah. The end. That's a short little summary of the book, but what, what's the message of the book of Jonah? Those are the main parts that people often remember from the book of Jonah, but is that enough to understand the message and purpose of God in this book? What are some important messages we should consider before making application from this book? I'd like to go over just a few. For one, the book of Jonah is not about Jonah. What are you talking about? He's the, he's, the, he's the title of the book. How can it not be about Jonah? He is not the prime character of this book. Yes, it does follow a small segment of his work and his ministry, but Jonah is not the principal character of his own book. Now, Jonah is commissioned to speak a prophetic word to the vile people within the great walls of Nineveh, but the book of Jonah is not about Nineveh. And yes, Jonah does attempt to run away from God. And he is swallowed by a great fish, but the book of Jonah is not about a fish. In fact, the the fish mentioned in Jonah is actually only mentioned in three verses throughout the entire book. Yep, that's what people 
mostly remember about what happened in the book of Jonah. He gets swallowed by a great fish. So what is it about? What is the message God was seeking to deliver to Israel through the dealings, through his dealings, through, uh, uh, through Jonah and, and nature and the city of Nineveh? I'd like to do just a few message points that will help us give a, a, a lens as we are going through this book. Things to consider as we start going verse by verse through these chapters. The principal character in Jonah is not Jonah, not the fish, not Nineveh, it's God. And the account of this book, it highlights it highlights the extent, the extent of God's grace and mercy. And that's what I want us to focus on as we're going through this book. It's, God, it's about God's grace and mercy specifically extended toward those who may have been written off by believers. Here's a few messages of Jonah I would encourage you to consider as we're going through this study. First and foremost, it highlights God's grace and mercy. That is certainly a prime message of this book. Another would be God's obvious concern that he has for for Gentile nations. Remember, the blessing of God's love and his mercy and his compassion for the souls of all people was supposed to be mediated through Israel. They were supposed to be a shining light to all the nations, de- demonstrating the character and nature of God. This is described in, 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 uh, in Exodus chapter 19. We see God giving this, this reality for his people. It was their job as God's elect and covenant people. So the message in Jonah would serve as a reminder for, of, of Israel's missionary purpose that God had for them among the other Gentile nations around them throughout the world. And for us as well, maybe it is this book study will serve as a reminder to us that no one is too far gone for God's grace. When we look at the vileness, the, the wickedness of Nineveh, I want you to start thinking of, at least allow the Lord to bring to mind maybe someone or a group of people we might have written off as someone too far from grace. Ever know someone too far from grace? I do hope that that notion would be challenged by the end of this series, maybe even by the end of this morning. Lastly, a message I would encourage you to consider is God's sovereignty in accomplishing his purposes. Because that is fully demonstrated in an incredible way in this book. I mean, think about it. Even though Israel failed in their missionary task, God was still faithful in proclaiming his love and grace and mercies to to, to Gentile nations. Even to ones as vile as Nineveh. I think those messages can easily get missed if all we remember about the book of Jonah is that he was swallowed by a fish. I hope that we remember more details, more specifically what God's message is in this incredible book.
There's so much more to get to, uh, from, get, get from this book, and I hope you get to see those things as well. So let's start with, uh, in the way of introduction, with the book itself. The book of Jonah falls within the section of the minor prophets. And they, these are not minor because they are somehow less significant than the other books. They are minor only in the sense that they are, they're just smaller books. For instance, there are 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah, a major prophet, a major book. Uh, but the book of Jonah only has four. Small book, but very rich, which I hope we see at the end of the series. So who is Jonah? He's not the principal character of this book, but he is throughout the entire. He is a prime character in the book. Who is he? Let's start with his name. Anybody know what the uh, what what his name means? I think our students might remember, but uh, what does the name Jonah mean? If you have a buddy or a friend or a nephew, a son, or the name Jonah, I would encourage you next time you see him, say, "Hey, Jonah, do you know what your name means?" It's Hebrew. It's Hebrew for dove. It means dove. Verse number one here in Jonah, and also in Second Kings fourteen twenty five, we see that Jonah was the son of Amittai. Amittai's father, that name means truth. I find it interesting because the 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 dove is usually a symbol of peace in the Bible, and so you can look at these two names and kind of see that. Out of truth came peace. I don't want to read too much into that, but I, I think it's kind of hard to ignore the gospel impl- implications just in their names. Out of truth came peace. You see, you cannot know the peace of God without first hearing the truth of God. I think of Paul's words in Romans. He says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? You know, we have a job to do here, right? What is our job? You are to be salt and light in this world. That's not different than what the job was of the, of the Israel nation to be a light among the, among the nations. To reflect the character and nature of who God is. To draw all unto himself. How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? I just found that, just found that interesting. Out of truth comes peace. You cannot be at peace with God unless you have believed the truth of God. Jonah was a prophet of God. A prophet is someone who it was used by God to communicate his messages. They were also called seers because, you know, they could see, see spiritual truths from what, uh, from what God um, gave them. Uh, God would give them sp- a supernatural insight, and we see that all through the Old Testament. We see that through Scripture as God gave them uh, the ability to see beyond what was obvious. A prophet was called by God himself. No one walked out among, uh, in, on his own volition and said, you know what, I want to be a prophet. It still happens today. Someone would just want to go and take, I'm going to take this step for God and just go ahead and self-proclaim myself to be a prophet of God. These guys didn't do that. They were called by God himself to be his messenger. Micaiah put it best. 
when he said, as surely as the Lord lives, I will only say what the Lord tells me to say. I think there should be a conviction for you and I as well. We should only speak what God prompts us to speak. And the prophet's words were not from their own interpretation or understanding of things. In 2 Peter 1.20, it says this, above all, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. I like how the NLT puts it. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. They were God's mouthpiece. They were simply a mouthpiece of the Lord to relay his message to his people. It was a position of great honor and responsibility. And Jonah is no exception to this honor. Jonah was one of, was one of only four Old Testament prophets that was uh, referenced specifically by Christ himself in the New Testament. The others were Isaiah, Elijah, and Elisha. Pretty good company. Last thing about Jonah is that Jonah's immediate predecessors were, were Elijah and Elisha. And they too were also called to Gentile missions during their ministry. But here's the thing. Jonah was the only one who attempted to run away from God. How can you run away from God? Is that even possible? We know that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. In fact, King David said this in Psalms 139. He says, if I ascend into heaven, or where can I go from your spirit, rather? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, behold, you are there. The very idea of running away from God is silly and literally impossible. But we do it all the time, don't we? When do we do this? When a believer actively chooses to live in disobedience. What are some of the first things they stop doing? Stop coming to church. To stop communing with God in prayer. To stop reading his word. They stop doing life with other believers. One of the very first things that takes place when a person walks into purposefully into a uh, in a life of disobedience is they separate themselves from accountability. They separate themselves from the only place they can receive reconciliation and love. Some of us might have been there before. And even in those, in those places, we might have felt that we left God, but he was still there. He is still there. And he still loves you. I remember when I was a young boy, uh, I was at a theme park, a very young memory. I, I, I must have been maybe five, six years old, and I was holding my mom's hand, and we came up to this fountain where everybody was throwing in coins. And I, had to, I asked my mom for a couple of quarters. I want to go make a wish. There was a bunch of kids there just all just throwing in coins. Actually, most of them were trying to dig for the coins. Um, 
And I remember going to this fountain and seeing all these coins. And, and uh, I threw my coins in, but I was just entranced by how, many, how much money was in this, this, uh, this fountain. And I started getting lost in my own thoughts, just thinking, man, I wonder, how much, I wonder how much money is in here. I wonder how much money I could get before I get in trouble. Yeah, you know, like, ooh, that one looks really shiny. That looks bigger than a quarter. I wonder what that is. And just in my own little world, okay, my mom... I don't know where she was, but she was wearing, uh, I remember what she was wearing, and I heard her voice from a distance say, come on, Ezekiel, let's go. And, I'm, and all the kids are still around, and I'm still entranced by what's hap- the activity that's happening at this fountain. So I'm kind of nodding, like, okay. And I'm still looking at this, this fountain, and I kind of glance this way, and I see the pants of my mom, and, and I reach for her hand. And I, and I grab the hand, and it, it slightly pulls away. And I look up, and it's not my mom. She's wearing the same pants, but uh, not my mom. And she, she leans down, and she says, oh, sweetie, are, are you lost? The thought didn't even enter into my mind until she, 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 until she mentioned it. I, said, I, I didn't know I was lost, but that sounded like a pretty uh, practical idea. So I nodded my head, and I started crying. I was like, oh, yes, I'm like, now I'm crying my head off, and I'm, I'm hoping that, God, that, that, that my mom will hear my voice. You know, like she's got to be around here somewhere, so I'm going to exaggerate my cries a little bit. You know, before I made too big of a scene, I, could, my, I felt my mom's warm hand come over my chest and press me into her body standing behind me. She said, Ezekiel, I'm right here. Apparently she had been watching me the whole time. She saw I wasn't paying attention. She saw, she saw me connect myself to some random person. And she's like, well, it's going to be a good time for a lesson. She's watching me the whole time. The only, the only obedience, the only real obedience is immediate obedience. My mom said, let's go. And I was like, uh-huh. Even in our, even in our stupidity, God loves us enough to continue to be with us. And just like any loving parent... God did bring Jonah back unto himself. Even though we might be walking away from God or feel like we've left God, he is still there. He does still love you. And like any loving parent, he will bring you back unto himself, even if it hurts. Jonah had to learn a very hard lesson. Here's what's interesting. His sin didn't just affect God. The consequences of his disobedience didn't just affect him. Guys, the weight of our sin, the weight of our, of our disobedience toward God will never only affect you. You're going to see in chapter 2, in chapter 1 too as well, that his sin affects the people around him as well. His disobedience costs the people around him as well. But God does bring him back. And that's what God does with Jonah. He did run away. But before we start get, giving Jonah a hard time for running away, let's try to understand his situation here. When I was young, I used to think that Jonah ran away because he was scared of Nineveh. Nineveh was a bad place. And I, even, even me saying that is an understatement, which I think we'll see here in just a bit. But let's look at the pa- uh, just a few passages here in chapter 1 and see if we can really... Start to appreciate Jonah's position here before we start judging him for running away. 
Let's look there in Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1. It says this, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. The great city of Nineveh was indeed a very wicked place. A little more of that in just a bit. It was also huge. The place was massive. It, it, it would take three days just to get from one end to the other. Nineveh was surrounded by this inner wall and an outer wall. The inner wall was, uh, was 50, feet high, uh, 50 feet wide and 100 feet high. This place was massive. Second in size only to Babylon and seemingly impenetrable. At the time, Nineveh was occupied by some of the most vile, wicked, and brutally violent people in the land. They were well known for their brutal atrocities committed against their war captives, including the Israelites. The prophet Nahum wrote of their brutality noting that Nineveh was one of the cruelest, vilest, most powerful, and most idolatrous empire of the world at the time. Just to give you an idea of their cruelty, let me share you just a few historical writings from their war leaders and commanders. It's a little graphic, but I think we'll, we'll start to understand Jonah's position a little bit better with this. Here's what one Ninevite commander wrote about his conquests. I stormed the mountain peaks and took them. In the midst of the mighty mountain, I slaughtered them. With their blood, I dyed the mountain like wool, like, uh, red like wool. The heads of their warriors, I cut off. And formed them into a pillar against their city. Their young men and, and their maidens, I burned in the fire. Regarding a captured leader, he wrote this, I flayed him. His skin I spread upon the wall of the city. Another wrote, A pyramid of heads I reared in front of, the, in front of his city. Their youths and maidens I burnt up in the flames. And believe me, the stories get much worse than that, which I'm not going to read. But these guys would have, would, inflict disfiguring bodily injuries and they would cut off the hands of young boys and girls and they would cover their city walls with the skins of their enemies. These people were brutal. The prophet Nahum called Nineveh the city of blood. And even that I would believe would be an understatement. But now God's judgment has come against them. And he tells Jonah, get up and go to the great city and announce my judgment is against them because I have seen how wicked its people are. You think that Jonah, knowing full well of their brutality and cruelty, that he would appreciate God's wrath coming against him, right? They are certainly deserving of judgment in, God, in, in, in Jonah's eyes. So why does he run? Verse 3, but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. God says go. Jonah says no. 
Why? Why did he do that? I can see why some might think that Jonah ran because he was afraid of the brutality of, of the people there. He might have been afraid of what they might do to him. I, I, it would make sense to come to that conclusion, but that's not why he ran. The reason why he ran is actually much more disheartening, as we'll see in the last chapter of this book. In the last chapter, Jonah, we, dis- we discover that Jonah ran because he did not want Nineveh to be spared. He didn't want Nineveh to be spared from God's judgment. Let me ask you this. Have you ever considered someone to be too far gone? Think about this just for a minute. I don't want to label any, any particular group in your, in your mind, but think about the rotten people that you have encountered in this life. Would you consider any of them too far gone for God's grace? I think Nineveh could probably wear that title, too far gone. But that wasn't God's plan. Again, before trying to be hard on Jonah, let's try to understand his situation here. You and I might have an idea of how vile the people of Nineveh were, but Jonah had a front row seat to this. He may have, been, uh, he may have even been aware of the prophecies of Hosea and Amos, who both warned Israel that their unrepentance would eventually result in exile and, and Assyria to rule over them. Jonah would have been aware of these prophecies. Maybe he feared that the sparing of Nineveh would eventually help the enemy destroy his own nation. We're talking about his countrymen. Maybe he didn't want even the possibility of that ever happening, knowing that God is merciful, that if they would indeed repent, God would not destroy them. Either way, Jonah wanted Nineveh destroyed. And he did not want them to have the chance to repent. That's why he ran. Later, when Nineveh actually does repent and is spared from God's wrath, this is what Jonah says. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and, 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 and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. He's saying this as a charge against God. What does this reveal about Jonah's heart? Christ says in Matthew 12 that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is his heart speaking here? He's saying, God, you're always giving people second chances. Right now, I hate that. That's pretty dark. Oh, but when I need grace, like he so desperately needed in chapter 2, I love that about you, Lord. But right now I hate it. In his heart, Nineveh was too far gone from grace. It is pretty dark. But probably not too far off from what our own hearts feel when we think of the rotten people in our own lives. 
Jonah was not nearly as compassionate as God, and quite frankly, neither are we. I'm not trying to speak for anybody here. I'm just saying that's, that's our nature. That is why we must always follow his prompting when we are prompted to share truth and not deciding for ourselves who needs to be hearing God's truth. There are some people in your life that you see every day that you may not believe will ever come to the Lord. That is not a position that we are to take. That is not a conclusion we are to have. One last thing and we'll close. Again, this is the way of introduction. As we go through this study, I want us to remember the principal character, the principal person in this book is God. And what is elevated, what is highlighted throughout this, this story, throughout this narrative, is his grace and mercy. And how his sovereignty is demonstrated through grace and mercy. It's not about God or anything else. And the message in Jonah, these, these details that we just discussed this morning, I hope would be, serve as a lens as we go through this book. These are the details we ought to remember when we think about what God did through Jonah. It's not about a fish. It's about God and his unchanging nature toward a lost world. God demonstrates incredible mercy to the vile people of Nineveh. And the whole city repents. That's not a small detail. When Jesus speaks of the joy in heaven, when someone repents, he says, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Nineveh wasn't just one sinner. It was an entire city. God's beautiful nature of grace and mercy is on full display through this book, and I hope that's what we remember from it. I sometimes hear the critique about God changing his mind in Jonah. He doesn't change his mind, at least not in the sense that you and I would change our minds because of some initial ignorance or uncertainty. God didn't change his mind about what he was going to do in Nineveh because he had some new epiphany or because he came upon some new information that he hadn't considered before. That's not what's going on here. Remember, this is highlighting his grace and mercy. You and I might change our minds when we come to some new information. But just as God is omnipresent, he's also omniscient. God was simply remaining faithful to his merciful nature as described in Jeremiah 18. Look what Jeremiah 18 says. This is who our God is. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, which he has the right to do as the good and perfect and holy judge, if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. That's not changing his mind. That is staying faithful to his character and nature. If you think you're too far gone, I'm telling you, you're not. 
If you're coming here on this, this Sunday morning as part of a new plan, as we're entering this new year, if any part of you is saying, I do not deserve to be sitting in this, in this room because of what my history looks like, I would encourage you to look at Nineveh. Look at guys that, like Paul and see you cannot be too far gone. And if you've walked away, understand the Lord loves you enough to discipline us back unto himself because he loves you. We cannot be too far gone. There are some other objections that critics often place on this book, like what kind of fish was it? How did, uh, how did jo- Jonah survive being swallowed by a fish? How was eight, uh, eight miles a three days journey through the city of Nineveh? How did the vine in chapter four grow so fast? Well, Pastor Mark will be happy to answer all those questions for you. Those are interesting details to unpack. But let us be more fascinated with and, and remember most what this book is really about. The book of Jonah paints a vivid picture of the unchanging nature of God's grace and his mercy. I like how John B. Hanna puts it. To accomplish his purposes, God's, God sovereignly controlled various events recorded in the book, overcame Jonah's rebellion, and opened the hearts of the Ninevites. That's what his objective was, to demonstrate the extent of his grace and mercy. That should be the common thread we remember through this book. No one is too far gone. One of of my favorite passages in all the Bible is in Jonah, in chapter 3, when it says, Then, this is after Jonah is spit out by the great fish and has repented and has has decided to obey the Lord. And this is what it says. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. You know, our God is a God of second, third, fourth, fifth chances. Praise Praise the Lord for his long suffering. Praise the Lord for his grace and for his mercy. No one is too far gone, neither is the person you're thinking about. No one is too far gone, neither are you. 